your place at, uh, in the, your copy of God's Word in Psalms 42. Psalm 42, uh, 142, excuse me, Psalm 142. Uh, if you don't know where that is, just kind of pick your Bible up, open in the middle, you'll probably get real close to it. Oh, yes sir, I will turn that on, thank you. I'm not even paying attention, I'm just talking to y'all. There we go, I think I'm on now. Alright, so Psalm 142, if you found your place there. Um, one of the things you should know about this psalm is uh, it's written by David. Uh, many of your scriptures will have a little inscription there say it was written by David, but it was written when David was on the run. He has been, by this point, he had been crowned king by Samuel. He's killed Goliath, so he's had some victories. He's been celebrated. This is after... They said David's slain, or Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. Everybody's just excited about David. Um, but Saul wasn't happy about that. Y'all know about the story? Saul wasn't real thrilled about that situation. Um, and long story short, there's a long story to go with this. Long story short, Saul's so not thrilled about it that he's actually seeking to kill David. Now that's a bad circumstance, I don't care who you are, if somebody's coming after you, I've never had anybody try to threaten my life, I just haven't, so I'm grateful for that. But I can imagine if you're in that situation, it's not a, not a comforting situation. So David ends up making a, a bunch of moves. I would say a lot of them would be classified as not very smart moves. But he ultimately ends, him, ends up finding himself in, actually it's in 1 Samuel chapter 22, he finds himself in a cave. And in that cave, the cave of Adullam, he does for the first time in a very long time the one thing he ought to have done from the very beginning I don't know how things would have worked out differently we just know what happened but I think that they would have worked out a little differently if he would have done this one thing which was from the very beginning and that is the Bible makes it clear that for the first time he prays and he cries out to God for help and we get a recording a written down record of what some of these prayers were I don't know what all those prayers were Psalm 142 is one of those prayers that he prays to God. And I want to spend the moment this morning with you to talk about that. I'd ask you to stand with me as we read the Lord's words, knowing that these are God's words and we want to honor them. Not because I'm reading them, it's not nothing special, but because God wrote them. So we read Psalm 142. I'll begin in verse 1. We'll read the whole uh, psalm uh, as, we, as you follow along. The Lord says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And with my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication, my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they, lay privily, have they privily laid a snare for me. I, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray together. Father. We're, I'm crying out to you right now that I need your help. I believe, on, I'm, I'm praying on behalf of this church, they need your help this morning. Each person here representing the families and the, and the, and the, the, the situations and the communities that they all represent, Lord, we need your help. 
And Lord, I know that we know we need your help, and I know we know we need help on some help, on some level, but Lord, sometimes we just fail to remember we need to just cry out to you. And I pray, God, that if they hear nothing else from me, that they hear the words that, that, that we've just read, that you've given to us, that we pray that you will bless, and that you will stick in our hearts, that we must cry out to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In uh, the late 1700s, there was a Presbyterian preacher by the name of James McGreedy. He took over a pastorate of a Presbyterian uh, a, a presbytery in this area called the Orange Presbytery. The Orange Presbytery, which covered over to Guilford County up to uh, Orange County, that whole area in this, in this area included. And each Sunday he would split his time between three churches, the Hall River, Presbyterian Church, the Speedwell Presbyterian Church, and the Stony Creek Presbyterian Church. You might know some of those names if you even live remotely in this area. You might know some of those town names, but you might even know those churches because some of them actually still exist. What, it, what I understand of this man, I never have heard him preach. Of course, there wouldn't really be recordings of him based on the time that he, uh, that he lived, but everything I could read about him is he was a preacher. Thunderous voice loud voice and apparently he was a, a very large man the, 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 the recordings of his of his time said that he was a hideous man apparently he was not a very good looking fellow apparently but he was a very large kind of very tall very boisterous kind of person that would just preach against sin and he would exhort the people of the Piedmont this area to repent of their sins and people responded they did they responded in, in major ways he actually grew a, grew a bit of a following. He was known, if you look at the, the history, historical records of him, he's known as a bit of a revivalist. And it, really there were some revivals that were started, some small revivals that broke out in this area as a result of his preaching. And, and his work was part of a larger movement. If you know history, it was something called the Second Great Awakening. He, he was not the only one of that. He was actually kind of on the fringes of it, but his work was part of that large revival in this whole, in this whole United States. But as he was preaching in this area, he hit some resistance. It was first at the Hall River Congregation that he hit some resistance. Isn't that funny? His stuff is close to home. Isn't that funny? I just think it's funny that it's so close to home. But he hit some resistance there. They were split. The congregation was split over his preaching. Some of them liked him, and some of them thought he just needed to sit down a little bit and calm down. Ultimately, that split in that congregation led to a situation where that church dissolved. And as I understand it, and you all know this area may be better than I do, I don't believe that church exists. There's not a Hall River Presbyterian church. There is a Hall River Presbyterian cemetery that still exists, but the church dissolved because they split over this preacher's preaching. Then there's the Stony Creek Church, which I understand does still exist and still stands to this day. There was a group of people that didn't really care for his preaching. In fact, they got violent over it. Can you imagine this? This is amazing to me. They actually got violent. They didn't just leave the church and say, oh, I'm going somewhere else. They got violent about it. One time they got, so, they got so mad about his preaching, about him preaching about they need to repent of their sins, they actually ripped the furniture out of the church, chopped up the pulpit, and made a bonfire out of the pulpit. Went so far as to, after that, write a letter to this preacher, Preacher McGreedy, wrote it in blood now that's some dedication to write something in blood I assume it's their own blood but they wrote this letter in blood that said preacher McGrady this time it was the pulpit next time it's going to be you they threatened him now preacher McGrady was not one to be cowed very easily so he showed up the next Sunday and he preached from Psalm 74 
A verse in there, verse 5 to 7, says something to the effect of, They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name. He, got, he went right back at them. Now, that said, that said, that's understandable to me, wasn't much longer after that that he took his family and they went across the Blue Ridge Mountain and they settled over in Kentucky. And over there, he took up another circuit of churches, as was their habit. They would have three or four churches that they would preach among. He preached at uh, three churches over there, the Gasper River, the Muddy River, and the Red River congregations. Those are the three churches he took up over there. And one of the things he did different that time, now please don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I don't know the ins and outs of Preacher McGreedy's life. I don't know all the details of that. It's what some of these historical figures, you only get the high points you understand. So I don't know what happened in the prayer closet and all those other things that he did. But one of the things that's notable about his time when he went to the Kentucky churches was he said, everybody in the congregation says, I'm going to take up and I'm going to preach. I'm going to be your pastor, but I'm going to ask you to sign a covenant with me. And we're all going to covenant together on this one thing. And I'll read some of that to you. It's not the whole thing, but a part of it. He says, therefore, this is something they all signed. Therefore, we bind ourselves to observe the third Saturday of each month for one year as a day of fasting and prayer for the conversion of sinners in Logan County. That was the county they were living in. And throughout the world. And also engaged to spend one half hour every Saturday evening beginning at the setting of the sun. And one half hour every, half hour every Sabbath morning or Sunday morning beginning at the raising of the sun. Pleading with God to revive his work. Now I won't suggest and you go back and you read the history yourself. You'll see his time there was not trouble free. He had his share of controversy under that uh, ministry still. But this prayer, this dedication to prayer for him and his congregation, and many of the church gathered in on this, is credited for sparking what was called in the history books as the Great Revival of 1800. It's actually named the Great Revival of 1800. It was a revival that started in Logan County, Kentucky, and it would be credited for many of the things that we today even enjoy. We were talking just before the service about the camp meeting, the one that Alamance Baptist camp meeting, and some of the other Some of that kind of meeting, those special meetings, was an outcropping. It's, it's sort of the, some of the vestiges of that revival. Some of the ways we even sing the hymns we sang this morning, the way we sing them, the how we sing them, some of that stuff comes as a result of that revival and that's not even to mention the thousands and thousands of people that were converted to Christ as a result of that revival now, now I'm telling you about Mr. McGreedy preacher McGreedy not to hold him up as some sort of uh, folk hero or hold him up as some kind of idol that we need to worship or a hero in any way uh, we can certainly learn a lot from him some of these old historic characters can be learned from uh, please understand that but I'm not trying to hold him up I'm just trying to point you to the one thing that really I think tipped the scales for him in his ministry he is an example of how God will move when his people cry out to him that's what I want you to see in telling you that story and that's especially especially when they're not looking so good I'm telling you I, I've not had too many troubles in my life and, and those troubles that I have had they've looked nothing like somebody chopping up the pulpit and threatening to do the same thing to me nobody's done that to me so when things aren't looking so good that's when God really shows up and I think that's what we see with preacher McGreedy and I think that's exactly the message that this Psalm of David 
You see, David's tried everything else. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapters about 21, 22, some, or 20, or 20, 21 and 22, you'll see this in his progression. He's running from Saul. He doesn't know what to do. He does everything. He even acts like he's a crazy man one time. And he even goes back to the same village that he killed Goliath. That's where Goliath is from. He went to his mama's village, Goliath's mama's village, and acted like that was going to help something. I don't know why he was doing what he was doing, but he was making decisions that weren't right. But he finally does the one thing. All these other things backfire on him. But he finally has the one powerful weapon that cannot be thwarted. And that is when a child cries out to his father. That's what he actually does in the cave of Adullam. You see, David, he cries out here. If you look with me back to the passage in verse 1, he cries to the Lord with his voice, he says in verse 1. He cries, he's making supplication. But he says there in verse 2, he says, I poured out my complaint. He is saying to he's saying to 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 the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I'm I'm laying it all out for you. I'm letting you know exactly where I am. I'm letting you know exactly what I want here. And he said, I'm crying out to you. He says, I'm I'm crying out in my predicament. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm making a request of you, Lord. I'm making it loud. I'm making it clear. I'm also doing it with emotion. When I say I cry out, this is not simply saying, Excuse me, God, I have something to say. There's emotion underneath that. There's there's passion. There's there's, there's pain that is involved in his crying out. And as I suggest, there is also a pouring out. There is also a, 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 just a laying it all out there. Essentially saying, Lord, I'm empty. I've got nothing left. If it's going to be fixed, it's going to be fixed by you. That's why he pours out his complaint. He goes on to say that he's showed before him my trouble. And he's saying, Lord, here it is. I'm almost imagining a, a little child who's got a broken toy that's taking their toy up to the daddy and saying, Daddy, can you fix it? That's kind of the image that he's got. You can see the pain in his, in his eyes. You can, you can hear the pain in his voice. You can hear the distress. He's just saying, I'm crying out because I've got nothing else left. God, you've got to help me with this. If you look in verse 3, he's, he's overwhelmed. He says, my spirit was overwhelmed within me. His circumstances, if you know about David's circumstances, they were certainly overwhelming. But if I may just try to, try to switch this to a little bit of application for us, I can't imagine what you may be going through, but you've probably been there before where you're just overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. And that's where David was. He just, he's just, everything is coming at him. He's like, I think about this sometimes myself. I'm like, I just need the world to stop a minute. Just stop. Quit moving. Just hang on a minute. Let me get my breath. That's how David's feeling. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to act. He doesn't know what to move, which way to move. And in fact, he says, you go re 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 keep reading in verse 3, he says, in the way wherein I walk, this is the last part, they have privately laid a snare for me. He says, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to move. And in fact, every way I move, it looks like there's somebody trying to get me. Somebody's laying a trap for me. Somebody's trying to pounce on me. He even says there at the last part of verse 4, he says, no man cared for my soul. Now, if you're not feeling the loneliness, if you're not feeling the despair, it's because you're not paying attention to what the man's saying. That's what he is conveying to the Lord. He is saying, I don't know what to do. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody is directing me. I feel alone. I feel lost. But he says, and I want to take you all the way back to verse 3. When he says, after he says, my spirit was overwhelmed within me, he says, then thou knewest my path. What I'm trying to get you to see in all this is, here's, here's David, and he is in a mess. 
He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He is feeling emotions that he can't even articulate. But he knows they're bad. And he says to the Lord, I am there, but he says, you know my path. Now what he's saying, yes, God sees his path. God understands where he is. Yes, I, that's part of it. Part of it is that God knows, God's not saying, whoops, I, don't, I lost David for a minute. No, he knows where he is. He knows exactly where he is. That's part of it. And I'll even go further to say for you, you may feel lost. You may not know what to do. God knows where you are. So that's part of this. But when he uses the word, God knoweth my path, he knoweth my path, when he uses those words, he says, I know where you are, but further, I am intimate with your circumstances. Which is why the writer of Hebrew writes in chapter 4, verse 15, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What I want you to understand is, yeah, God knows where you are. He's not lost you. He hasn't lost touch with you. He's got his GPS tracker on you. Yeah, he's got you. But it's further than that. He feels what you feel. He understands what you're dealing with. He gets it in a way that I can come up to you and say, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. I hate you have to deal with that. I feel bad for you. And you'll think Matthew likes me and he's, he's a friend of mine. But I don't get what you got in a way that God gets it. He says he's been touched with our infirmities. He understands what is going on. He understands. Not only he knows where you are, he understands where you are. He's with you in your circumstances. Which is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, he says, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, God understands so much of where you are, the Holy Spirit actually says, I, I, He can't explain it. Let me tell you what He's got going on, God. That's what happens. Because God knows where you are. He can be trusted. He gets it. Even when I, sometimes I can't even explain what's wrong with me. But God knows what's wrong with me. He feels it and he understands it. He understands my problems and he cares for you. He cares for you. What that means in application is, I, I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe some of us, and I, I, sometimes I'm like this, where I'll do, I'm dealing with something and I'm just embarrassed about it. Like, I just can't believe I'm having to deal with this. This is stupid. I'll, I'm a grown man. I don't know how to mess with this. Now, I know I'm the only one in here that's ever felt like that, but that's how I feel sometimes. That means when you're like that, you don't have to have shame saying, God, I know I know should know better. You can say that if you want to, but God says, I know you should know better. But you didn't, and you didn't. You're in the mess. I'm going to help you. Because God knows everything. Do you know that? He, know, he made you. He understands you. He knows everything about you. So don't be so ashamed you won't bring it to him. Bring it to him anyway because he already knows about it. At least you're crying out to him. Some of us say, well, you know, this, this problem I've got is too small. It's too small. God's so big, and he's got a whole world to control. And yeah, he is, and he's all of those things. But did you understand that God actually works at the atomic level? Did you understand that God doesn't just create ideas? He created everything. That those little atoms and those little, those little molecules that make up your skin, that the Bible says by him all things consist 
Without Christ, you would actually explode into nothingness. But because of Him, everything you have, those little capillaries in your body, those things work. Why? Because He works on the small scale. He works on the little things. The, the things that feel small to us, they are not a problem. He created you, so don't think there's anything too small. And you say, well, okay, my problem's too big. My problem's too big. It's not something that God can, can even help me with. Don't you understand that God created not only the world, but the entire universe. He created reality. He created existence. He created everything. There is no problem that's too big for him. Everything is his. He understands it. He knows it. That means everything. Whether we're talking about, as you've talked about this morning, the future of this church. Whether we're talking about a friend who has lost, a sick loved one. Whatever it is that is the problem, you can cry out to him because he understands that he's with you in the middle of it. And he's ready to help you. He's right there, intimate with us. Remember, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says his name is Emmanuel. God he is divine, he is almighty, he is powerful, but he is God with us. And that doesn't just mean he is present, he is, but that means he's in it with us. He gets it, he is right there, right alongside of us. Now David, is he's in a mess, in verses 3 and 4 he makes it clear there's a lot of people out to get him. But he is grateful that God is on his side. God's with him in that circumstance. And therefore he says in verse 5, look at what he says. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I say, thou art my refuge. Not only are he, is God with us in the circumstances, therefore we can cry out to him no matter what our problem is. He is also the one who is protecting us. He is the place we can go for protection. He loved you when you were a sinner. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Did you know that he really loves you now that you're one of his? That's the rest of Romans chapter 5, by the way. He loved you when you were a sinner. He really loves you now that you're one of his children. You, he actually cares for you. This is what Peter writes over in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, you can cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. What does that mean? Does that mean he loves you? Yes. Does that mean that he has good feelings about you? Yes. But did you know that word care has a little bit more meaning to it? Some of you take care of a garden. When you care for your garden, are you sitting in the, in the house saying, oh my, I love my garden. Well, maybe you are. But there's more to it than that. You care for it. What does that mean? You actually have to get out there and get your hands dirty with it, don't you? You do something about it. You fix it. You take care of it. That's what caring for it means. That's the way our God cares for us. Does he love us? Yes. Does he feel good about us? Yes. But does he actually put his hand to the plow, as it were, to do something about our lives? Absolutely. That's how he cares for us. That's the kind of God that we have. And further, not only is he interested and able, he is powerful and he is effective in what he does. You see, when God does something, he doesn't try to do stuff. He does it. That's the way God works. I try to do stuff. I try. I fail. But God, when he tries, he does it. He just does it. It's over. He's accomplished it. That's why John writes, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I don't know what's coming at you. And there's probably a lot, depending on who you are and what you're dealing with right now. But whatever's coming at you. You have protection. You have a refuge in God. That's why when a little child gets hurt, it always amazed me. They never called out, Daddy! Not for me, anyway. When a little child got hurt, you know who they cried out for? Mama! Why? 
Because mama was the refuge. Now, if they wanted something, daddy, would you do this? Now, daddy would do stuff because daddy, daddy's soft. But when they're hurt and they need protection, they cry out to mama because she's the refuge. Because she can be trusted. Because they've done it before and she's helped them. And when they cry out to her, she comes and she holds them and kisses them and makes everything feel better. That's what God does for us. He is a refuge for us and we can cry out to him. So where are you going to turn when you're frustrated? Who can you call on when somebody hurts you? How are you going to handle temptation when the devil is attacking you and you are defeated by sin? How are you going to get refuge from that? What do you do when you're worried about a child or a grandchild? How are you going to handle that? What's going to happen when you feel threatened by something outside of you? Well, I can guarantee you the answer is not trying harder. The answer is not some human solution. Only God can and will protect you. In fact, I will quote from or, or read from uh, Paul's writing to the Galatian church. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that you're now made perfect by the flesh? Meaning, you didn't get saved by your own effort. How are you going to protect yourself by your own effort? You can't. Run to the one, call on the one, cry out to the one who does, can, and will. He goes beyond protection there in verse 5 and actually says, Thou art my refuge, that's the protection piece, but he says, and my portion in the land of the living. One thing you need to understand about the word portion is it's really speaking about inheritance. And some of you either have inherited or maybe you have possessions that will be inherited. And if you have more than one child, what that happens is you've got something that's got to be split two, three, four, five, ten ways, however many children you got, right? That's what, you, that's, what, that's what inheritance means. Whatever you have, you get a piece of it. Hence, portion. I don't get it all, I get a portion. When my daddy passes things to me, I'm going to get a portion of that because I have a sister. We portion it out. That's a piece of it. You understand what I'm saying? He says, my portion isn't something God gives me, some stuff that he gives me. What does he say? Go back to verse 5. Thou art my portion. God's not just giving us good stuff and blessings. Yes, he's giving us protection and he gives us blessings. He gives us those things. But that's not all he does. He is so good that he actually gives us himself. He is our inheritance. He is our portion. He is all we need. I don't need a part. I don't need a piece. Do you know this whole universe was created by God? And if you create something, I don't know, I don't know what laws you abide by, but if you create something, it's yours, right? I would think so. If I create it, it's mine because I made it. God created the world. God created the universe. This whole thing is his. And he could so choose to say, Matthew, I'm going to give you Alamance County. Here you go. And I would say, thank you, Lord. If you want to give me that, that's fine. It's yours to give. That's what you want. But he says, you know what? <clears throat> Take that back. I'm going to keep Alamance County for myself. I'm actually going to give you myself. You get me. Let me go back to another example of this. When we talk about this inheritance often happens when, one, when a loved one passes and they pass their inheritance to their children. How much better would it be if we didn't have to pass the house and the land and the truck and the farm equipment and all this other stuff, but actually we got mama or daddy. How much better would that be? 
that we never had to get their stuff. We got to keep them for eternity. Now, understand, I understand theology just like the rest of you. I know I'm going to see them in heaven when I die. I get that. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. But I'm talking about just for a few more years on this planet. Wouldn't it be nice to have mom and daddy a little bit more? Wouldn't that be better? I think that'd be better. I think it'd be better. I don't know what y'all think, but I think that's better to have the person, not the stuff. And what I see in this passage is that God is not just my, my giver. He does give, but he is my possession. He is my portion. He is my inheritance. Which is why Jesus tells Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, you've got all you need. you got me. What else you need? you got me. Without Jesus, without the Lord, there's no point to anything. There's no protection there's no reason why I protect something if you don't have anything worth protecting. Let them break in and have it. There ain't nothing in there anyway. But if you've got God, you've got it all. It's worth protecting. Which is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says, you know what? If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, he says, we are all men most miserable. There's no point to any of this. Why? Let me just go further and say, I know y'all come and you want to hear somebody and I, and, I, and I feel honored that you're listening to me preach. But y'all might as well go home if you don't have Jesus this morning. He says, on the other hand, that my portion, my inheritance is not good preaching. It's not a church. It's not a thing, a money, possession. My portion, my possession is God. God has given me himself. Vanessa gets on my case. My wife gets on my case sometimes because she'll say something to the effect of, you spend more time at that job than you spend on me. She's right, unfortunately, <laughs> that I spend more time on that job than I spend on her. Because I do. I seem to be more dedicated to her. I mean, seeing my job than I do to her. And, I, and I, in my heart, I, I love her and I want to do everything that's best for her. But my actions speak a little louder than my words sometimes. So what does it say to God about how you value your relationship with him? The one that he says, I'm giving myself to you. When your first stop on your need, on your, on your journey to solve your need or to fix your problem is on to someone or something often else besides God. What does that say? He says, I'm here. I'm yours. Call on me. Cry out to me. Spend time with me. I am what you have. And yet we go and spend our time with money and buildings and possessions and reputation and all of these things that will fade away. Not a thing. You cannot imagine anything other than God himself and the things that God preserves through his, holy, through his, through his blood, that's, that's going to be eternal. Everything else is going to fade away. Can you imagine anything that's not going to fade away? No, it's all going to fade away. God is eternal. In fact, what I'm trying to get you to be focused on here is not what you're asking for, but to whom you ask it. Do you see the difference? So, so I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to chastise you for crying out to God, hey God, I need to pay the light bill. That's fine. Call out to him for that. But don't but call it to him for that because he's the one who answers that call. Do you see that? That's what I want you to understand about this. Cry out to him because he's all you need. He's all you have and really should be all you want. That sounds like the end of the sermon, but there's one more point. Partly because I just gave you three points. And if y'all heard me preach at all, you hear me preach three points because I think that's the only way I know how to preach. But this one's got four points in it. Got one more, one more. Can you hang on just another minute? Leap, leap. This is what the folks in New Orleans call a lanyap, a little bit extra, just a little bit more, a little more little thing. That's what's got in here. I want you to see this. 
See, God continues to give blessings still. See, God is my portion. That should be enough, right? It is enough. He's, he's perfect. He's altogether all lovely. He is my portion. But he says in verse 6, I am brought low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. He says, I'm gonna, you're going to deliver me from my persecutors. They're strong. He says, bring, me, bring my soul out of prison. You're going to keep me out of bondage. And he says here at the last part of this, I want you to see the last phrase in this, in this psalm. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Our gracious God gives us himself. He has died on the cross for our sins, yet he continues to deal bountifully with us. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3 that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He can do anything. Why in the world do we not trust him? That takes me back to um, Brother McGreedy as he's in, the, in, the, in the, the foothills of Kentucky, gathering his church together, I think Brother McGreedy had one thing figured out. He couldn't do it, but God sure could. And then when his people, God's people, not McGreedy's people, God's people, cried out to him that amazing things can happen. We just have to trust him. We have to prove him. We have to, to lean on him. Uh, th there's a writer from the, from the last century, a fellow by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this. Uh, I thought this was a very good phrase that he wrote. He says, I, I would, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, what we're doing is we're crying out. But let me tell you, you hit your finger, it's going to be hard not to cry out because it hurts. You're going to cry out. But to whom are you crying out? Too many of us are crying out to our own intellect, to our friends, to the world, to, the, to, to, uh, to other people, to possessions. God help us. We're crying out to those things. But we have a God who can do anything. Do, please understand what that means. When I say the word anything, I'm not just using that as another throwaway phrase. That is a meaningful word. There is nothing that is impossible to God. And when we cry out, why in the world aren't we crying out to him? Why in the world do we not cry out to him? We serve a lavish God. We should cry out to him. So my invitation to you, and I am closing with this. Would you cry out to God with your need this morning? Some of you need salvation. I don't know your hearts. You know where you are. You know exactly what you need this morning. Some of you need salvation. You've never asked the Lord to save you from your sins. You're, you are on your way to hell. You will die and you will find yourself as the, that rich man who opened his eyes and was in hell. You're going to find yourself that way one day unless and until you cry out to God and ask Him to save you. He's promised He would. Some of you need help with decisions you have to make either personally or, or, or as a family or whatever that situation is. You need decision help. Well, God said, cry out to me. I'll give you wisdom on that. Some of you are having health problems. Some of you are having financial problems. Some of you are having relationship problems. Some of this, even this church, you have things in this church that you need. What in the world are you going to do? Well, Mike, I can be, tell you, you can be confident that when you cry out, God will hear you and care for you. He will protect you and he will give you his very best. He always has and he always will. And he is lavish.
He will do above anything you can imagine. He can do that. No one on this planet, nothing on this planet comes close to being like our God. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? I'm going to close in a word.